Well, I don't know if you've ever had these moments, but there's these moments when you're in these spaces and you get like the hard stiff arm from somebody. It's not a very fun moment, right? I'd been a pastor in the city for about two years. So again, the beautiful thing is I celebrate being in New York 15 years yesterday. So this is, a, this is as much home as anywhere has ever been, right? Um, and I moved here 15 years ago. Some people believe that I was supposed to pastor a church that I did for about six years. So I got here and I was here for about two years. And then I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. So there, I heard that there was this organization that provided trainings to pastors uh, through some friends that had been told that they did starting up this training program. So I said, okay, well, maybe I should go and talk to them. So, because I need help, I can't do this by myself. So I, I remember going to the office and sitting down with this man and describing who I was and the training that I had received already and my hope of getting the help. And basically just, you know, this is the, the, the cliff note version of the conversation. He was like, we can't help you, I'm sorry. It's like, it's too late. We can't help you. you and then, and then not, to make matters worse, now this man's job is sort of to weed out folks that he, he, you know, he doesn't believe are supposed to be in the city to plant churches and start churches. Because again, as you probably understand, doing church work in New York is pretty hard. But then he's like, not only can we not help you, but he's like, you're probably not going to make it. You're probably not going to make it. And I was like, thank you. I don't know if you've been in those spaces where you feel like I was trying to get help or I feel like I'm supposed to be getting some help here. And then you're like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Or maybe you're in spaces where you think, you know, there's, there's work that could be done and you feel like I have nothing to offer in this space. Right? There's, there's all these issues and concerns and struggles that people are facing. Like, I feel like I have nothing to offer. I feel like I can't help. I don't have the resources or the support. I don't have the strength or the wisdom to offer in these spaces. I don't know what I can do. Whether you've been given the stiff arm or internally you don't feel like you have what's necessary to do the work that's being set before you, God wants to remind us that there's an invitation that he has for you. That he has for you. Maybe you feel like you don't belong because there's baggage. There's things that you feel like, I can't do this work because there's too much stuff that I have in my life that I have to fix first, or too many things that are going wrong in my life, and I can't step into these situations. However you step into this conversation, the reminder today is that God is an invitation on our lives, an invitation to give us to join him in what he's doing. And so today we're going to talk about this invitation to just work or as I'm going to describe again, justice work, the invitation to just work. And so another practice we have is I invite you to stand as we read the scripture for us this morning. Today we're in John chapter 4. This is probably one of my favorite texts in the New Testament. John chapter 4, verses 1 to 30. You can follow along as it's on the screen, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version. This is John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. 
because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I give him will become a well of water springing up from him in him to eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to drink water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correct, correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that this place is to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Your Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with this woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into the town, and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. This is the readings of God's word. You may be seated. So a couple things before we enter into this conversation about the invitation to just work. There's a lot in this text and some of which I won't get to. Okay, so if there's things like, well, what about this or what about this or what about this? I'm not going to get to it all because there's a lot in there. But I will mention that it's interesting. The first thing I will mention that at the start of this text, chapter four, verse one, we have to understand that Jesus approaches fame very differently than the world approaches fame. You see, whenever Jesus becomes famous for doing something, what he doesn't do is set up shop and you know, start a business, you know, build a church, you know, make a name for himself. He withdraws and withdraws and withdraws and withdraws and withdraws. We have to understand that God views success very differently than the world views success. And so even in this idea of justice, as we're going to talk about this idea of just work today, God views success very differently than the world views success. Jesus withdraws consistently. Whenever something happens that draws a crowd, Jesus withdraws because he's not interested in drawing a crowd. He's interested in making disciples. And disciples look very different than a crowd. 
But if we're thinking about this idea of invitation to just work, it's important we understand, because I'm talking about just work, it's short for justice. And the word justice also can mean righteousness. There's, it's an interchangeable word in the scripture. It's important for us to understand when we talk about justice, what are we talking about? And really, justice just means things being made right and whole. Things being made right and whole. Or another way of describing it, as a number of Bible teachers have talked about, it's this idea of the experience or the fullness of God's peace, or the word shalom. It has a very large and full meaning. And so justice happens when there's an experience of God's shalom, the peace of God. And one of my favorite Bible teachers, a Native American Christian theologian, Randy uh, Woodley describes shalom this way. I think I thought I put yeah, the quotes up on the screen for us. I just love the way he describes it. To just give us context as what it means for us to experience justice and peace in this world. Woodley says this, shalom is communal, holistic, and tangible. There is no private or partial shalom. As long as there are hungry people in a community that is well-fed, there can be no shalom. When there are homeless and jobless people amidst the employed and wealthy, shalom cannot exist. Shalom is not for the many while a few suffer, nor is it for the few while the many suffer. It must be available for everyone. In this way, shalom is everyone's concern. The invitation to just work or justice work is not for the super spiritual. It's not for the few. It's an invitation that God has on every person who comes into a relationship with Jesus. Every person who comes into a relationship with Jesus is invited into this just work. And why I'm using this idea of just work, it's a kind of a planned word. It's justice, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but it's also just work. Meaning, it's not some big, elaborate thing. It doesn't require that you have tons of money, tons of resources. It doesn't require that you have all these things. You don't need to start a nonprofit to do, to do this kind of work. You don't need to have a degree. You don't need to have all the education or all the know-how. You just need to join God and what he's doing around you in new and fresh ways. It's an invitation to lean in and step up. And why this is not optional for our church, and particularly for me, as I think about this, is I don't know if you read in the news this week, but a homeless man was choked out and killed on, a, on the subway this week by, a, by an, a, a civilian. And before I read the news about who it was, because of the work that our church does, the first thing I'm thinking of is, was that someone from our church? This is not something that's happening out there. Jordan Neely is one of us. Jordan Neely is one of us. So this isn't an invitation to a, people out there. This is an invitation to us because it affects us. It's about us. So this invitation to just work is an invitation for us to join God in this invitation to extend peace, the shalom of God to those around us. But here's the beautiful thing. This invitation comes with an invitation from Jesus to serve. 
a direct invitation from Jesus to serve. You have your Bible open or on the screen, just as a reminder in verse 6. This invitation, verse 6, of is about noon, the situation that's unfolding of the Samaritan woman. A few things that we help us understand what's going on in this, mo in this moment, right? This woman is coming to the well at noon. That should signal for people that something's going on in this woman's life because that's the heat of day. You don't go and fill your buckets of water at the hottest moment of the day. But why is she doing that? Because she's ostracized. This is a woman with a backstory, as we've already heard. This is a woman who's been, uh, been neglected and, and judged and, and, and pushed to the side. And so if she's going to get water for her family and for herself, she's got to do it when other people aren't going to side-eye her, make assumptions about her, talk about her when she goes to pick things up. And so the beautiful thing about this is that Jesus is well aware of what's going on in this woman's life, but also she's a Samaritan. And I'll use a term that many would understand in this space. When the Jews think of Samaritans, they think of Uncle Tom's. They think of people that are turning their back on their own people, that are selling their own people out. If you read the scriptures, this is what's going on was the Jews think about the Samaritans. They were the ones who chose power over their own people in certain moments throughout history. So as Jesus is talking to this woman at the dead of day with someone who no one wants to spend any one time, any one time with, and a, bun, and a Samaritan no less, here's the beautiful thing. Jesus says to her in verse 7, Give me a drink. Before Jesus is going to address anything about who this woman is, before Jesus is going to say anything about her story, before Jesus is going to say anything about the things that need to change in her life, he's asking her to serve him. Think about that for a minute. Someone who is so ready to be dismissed by, this, by society, Jesus is saying, I need your help. I need your help. I want your help. Shalom is the invitation to serve Jesus. But so many of us step into these moments and think, Jesus, and again, being reminded, Jesus is well aware of this woman's story. Because he's bringing it up later in the text. Jesus is well aware of what's going on in this woman's life, and those aren't the things that are dismissing her. They're disqualifying her from doing service in this moment. Maybe you've experienced the painful reality of people writing you off. Thinking, you can't serve here. You can't do this. You're not qualified here. Your criminal legal history continues to catch up with you again and again in conversations like, you don't belong here. You're not welcome here. You have a broken marriage. You're not welcome here. You're living in a shelter. You can't do this. You're unemployed. You're not fit for this moment. The invitation from Jesus to just work is an invitation first to serve him. To serve him. Not because of the things that you think disqualify you, because Jesus is looking at you and saying, I'm inviting you to help. I'm inviting you to help. 
This woman had issues. Maybe she thought she had nothing to offer, but you know what she did have? And again, just think about it so practically, okay? She had a bucket, right? She had a bucket. Some of us think, I got, I got nothing to offer to this space. I got nothing to offer this conversation. I got nothing to offer in this moment. You know what you might have? You might have a bucket. And literally, last Sunday, a bucket would have been pretty helpful. Am I right, Eugene? A bucket would have been pretty helpful. There was water coming in from all over the place last Sunday after church. All over the place. We could have used lots of buckets. It's not a matter of thinking you need to be super spiritual. It's not a matter of thinking you need to be super qualified. It's not a matter of you thinking you need to have it all together. Sometimes Jesus is saying, do you have a bucket? Moses in the Old Testament, as Jesus, he's in, be invited by God to lead the people. And he thinks, I got nothing to offer. And, he's, and, and, and God literally in, in, in Exodus, he says, what's in your hand? And the staff that he thought was just some ordinary device that it was used to, with his, all his work, God says, look at this staff. I'm going to use it in ways you can't imagine. I'm going to use it in ways you can't imagine. Some of us feel like all I got is a bucket. And Jesus is saying, that's enough. That's enough. Maybe you have a trade that you can offer to our church or to the community, right? Maybe it's time. Maybe because you're unemployed right now, you have time. Maybe it's your story. We'll get to that later. You have an opportunity to share your experience that many can, can gravitate towards understanding and be encouraged by. As, as many have said through history, as we think about justice movements, revolutions start when people are willing to show up. To show up. So when Jordan Neely is choked out and people are literally disrupting the train for the last couple of days, because we're not going to let homeless folks who are experiencing mental health crisis in public be choked out on our trains, Sometimes it just requires showing up. So maybe you just have a bucket. The invitation from God is to say, your past is not a disqualification. Your current struggle is not a disqualification. What do you have in your hands? What do you have in your life that I want you to use in different and fuller ways? It's an invitation to serve Jesus with what you have in your hands. But secondly... We have to recognize that this invitation from Jesus is an invitation into an existing story and situation. As we've learned again in the scripture, there's a situation that's unfolding here. We learned already about what's the Samaritan situation. And then there's the Samaritan and Jewish situation because Samaritans believe worship and church should look like this. Jewish people think worship and church should look like this. Samaritans should do this. Jewish folks should do this. Women should do this. Men should do this. And so you step into this situation of recognizing there's a story and a narrative that's already unfolding. I'm upstream already. Things are already going on. Verse 9, this woman had an expectation that Jesus wasn't even, going to, wasn't even supposed to be talking to her. Verse 9, 
Why are you asking me for a drink? You know you shouldn't even be really talking to me. There's, there's a narrative and a story and a situation that's already unfolding. And so it's important for us if we're thinking about just work, justice work, that we have to recognize that sometimes we're setting, stepping into situations that are already going on. That are already going on. I'm very aware of this. I've been a part of this conversation around closing Rikers for a number of years. But again, recognizing this is not a new conversation. We've been talking about closing Rikers for, I don't know, probably 20 years because it's an unjust system. It's unnecessarily segregating people that are simply awaiting to hear from a, court, a judge about their current situation. 85% of the population on Rikers are simply being detained, awaiting a trial. They have not been convicted of any crime, and yet, and, yet, and yet they are unnecessarily, unjustly separated from their family and from resources. And so I enter into this conversation, but I've entered in with people that have been doing this work for a lot longer than I have ever, maybe than I've even thought. So we have to recognize that I'm stepping into these situations. This woman had a perspective on church fathers. She had an understanding of what she thought religion looked like. Are you greater than our father Jacob? She had an understanding of what she, what the, how the scriptures worked, what, what Christianity or religion was already about. People have assumptions. You, you enter into a conversation with someone about what church is, about what Christianity is about, and they already have an understanding. They're not a blank slate. They're not a blank page. Verse 19, this woman describes her view of religion. This whole situation playing out in verse 17 about broken relationships. Jesus is well aware this woman already has a bunch of stuff going on in her life. She already has all these things she thinks she understands about how the way the world works. And so for us to do this work of justice, we have to enter in to existing stories, existing narratives. And what does that mean? We need to understand. Before we assume, we understand. I don't know what it's like to be incarcerated. I don't know what it's like to be homeless. I don't know what it's like to be an immigrant. I don't know what it's like to battle addiction. So you know what I need to do in those moments as I'm trying to do just work? I need to understand the stories already been going on in that person's life, what they bring to the table how they understand their own situation, how they understand their own story, how they understand what's going on in their life already. I have to understand. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us. I mean, Jesus already knows. Why is it that Jesus asks questions he already knows answers to? Because he's trying to teach us about the right way to do it. I mean, Jesus doesn't need to ask this woman any questions. He already knows every answer. He's trying to teach us about how to enter into these situations effectively, redemptively. And so we, how we enter in matters. Do I enter in with criticisms and assumptions about someone's situation, about incarceration, about their, their criminal legal history, about their immigration situation, about their battle with addiction, about what, whatever? Am I entering in with assumptions and judgments and criticisms, or am I trying to understand this person so I can care for them? And that's where we're going. How I enter in matters. 
I'm entering into an existing story and situation. So the invitation to just work is recognizing there's already a narrative and a struggle and a situation that's presenting itself. And my responsibility to join God in that moment is to understand what's happening. Next, this invitation is an invitation to being misunderstood. To being misunderstood. Jesus' disciples come back to her, come back in this moment, and, and I mean, it's, it's crazy to me, but it shouldn't be crazy because we're slow. I'm slow, right? Verse 27, then the disciples arrived and were amazed that he was talking with the woman, and yet no one said. Now again, just stop for a second. When it says no one said, what the, what's actually happening this moment, no one said what everyone's thinking. That's what's happening. No one says it, everyone's thinking it. What do you want or why are you talking with her? Okay. There's an invitation to just work, to recognize that we're going to be misunderstood when we're trying to do the work of justice because we're going to be serving and learning from and participating in things that some people will be ready to misunderstand or even make accusations about us. Accusations. I remember... Most of my work started during Hurricane Sandy, this, this stuff related to just work and pr working with public housing residents. And I committed after Hurricane Sandy, when the National Guard left, if you remember, Gowanus and Red Hook, there were National Guard there handing out meals and all that stuff for like a bunch of months, right, for a while. But when they left, the work continues because there's mold and there's lead paint and there's elevators that are not working in public housing situations, all that stuff. The work continues. And so I committed for a year to participating in the tenant association meeting at Gowanus. And I just sat at the back of the room and said nothing. Now, I recognize that my presence there made people feel a certain way. Okay? My melanin, probably, just if nothing else, right? <laughs> Right, right, lack of it, right, lack of melanin, if nothing else, made people feel a certain way. But I had to understand that what I was trying to do was spend a lot of time just listening. And, and after a long stretch of just being in a space of listening, I was invited into the conversation. But I was willing to be misunderstood in that moment, to have people misunderstand what I was trying to do by just listening in that moment because I was trying to build on a relationship of, through listening in that moment. People are going to misunderstand when we're trying to do things to care for others, right? People are going to misunderstand when we try and step into situations to help, and they're like, why are you helping that person? Why are you spending time with that person? Why are you doing that work? They don't need our help, right? Again, another one that I'm reminded of in this work is um, I used to do, a, I was leading a youth mentor program for a couple of years in public housing, and I did this, uh, this thing called two chairs, and we had a police officer sitting in one chair, and a young person sitting in the another chair. And they could ask each other questions. Okay? And, the, the, and, and I said, what's one thing you wish that the other person knew about that you probably don't? And so this one officer was a PSA. He's an officer who works particularly in public housing. Described how, as a black man, as a police officer working in public housing, he was a, a, um, an NCO, neighborhood coordinating officer, he lived in East New York, and what he would do is he would not get his uniform on for work until he got to work. And he was sharing with the student why he did that is because he didn't want his neighbors knowing he was a police officer, black man living in East New York. And why he didn't want his neighbors to know he was a police officer is because if his neighbors knew he was a police officer, they would think differently about him. 
they would think differently about it. Okay? Now, does NYPD need to change? You better believe it. You better believe it. Are there injustices in the NYPD? You better believe it. But are there good officers in the NYPD? You better believe it. I have a half a dozen of their numbers on my phone that I check in with on when, when, when drama happens in a community. And so people are saying, why are you talking with that police officer? Why aren't you for justice? Aren't you for change? Aren't you for, you know, defund the NYPD? Aren't you for, I'm for listening to this officer to understand the injustices that he also faces as a human being and as a black man trying to do the right thing in the NYPD in New York City. People are going to misunderstand you. People are going to misunderstand you when you're trying to do the right thing. Are we okay with people accusing us of doing the wrong thing when we know it's the right thing? Right? It requires wisdom from God. Yes, absolutely. How do we do it? It requires wisdom from God. Right? When we're willing to do things that other people think is difficult. Now, again, reminder, this is not something you do alone. Right? This is not something you do alone. You need wisdom and counsel from others to help us understand how to do this work. So we do this work with an invitation from Jesus to whatever he's inviting us into with whatever resources we have. It's an invitation to remember that God is inviting us to consider this reality that people around us need help. And we spend so much time accusing them rather than listening to them. Assuming instead of understanding but we're also going to be misunderstood as we do this work. But here's the beauty, okay? So remember, this invitation from Jesus and how we reframe this whole understanding, this is the beauty, and again, this is odd, okay? So again, if you're reading, if you read the scriptures for, for the first time or for a new, in, in fresh ways, you think like, this would not be the way I would think about doing evangelism, okay? This would not be the way that I would think about how I would go out with the message of hope. Again, look in your Bibles, Look in verse 29. In verse 29, after this woman has the encounter with Jesus, she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. You're like, no thanks. <laughs> so this guy's going to tell me everything I ever did? No thanks. I'd rather have all that stuff be in the closet still. Thank you very much. I don't want anyone turning over rocks in my life. I don't want anyone telling me all the things I ever did. I don't want everyone knowing all of my dirty laundry. No thanks. Why is this so beautiful for this woman? Why is this the invitation to just work? Why is this so amazing? Because this woman has an encounter with Jesus and Jesus knows everything about her and loves her. Loves her. And not only loves her, sends her out with a story. Sends her out with a story. Jesus is inviting us to allow him to reframe our story. Reframe our story. Not an evangelism tool that men would be like, sign me up, sign me up. I want Jesus to tell me everything I ever did. And in public, no less. But she's saying, come help, come let me introduce you to someone who knows everything about me and loves me anyway. Loves me anyway. 
Jesus is inviting us to see our past differently. Our past differently. You see, when we think about the invitation into just work, some of us think that our past is a disqualifier for the work. And Jesus is saying it's the, actually the reverse. When you inter get introduced to Jesus, your past is a qualifier for the work. Meaning, if you have been involved in, if you've been formerly incarcerated, you're now introduced to Jesus and go out with a story of how you met Jesus and he cared for you in spite of your criminal past. And how you are, I tell folks who are in this idea of when we talk about reentry work, you can then tell a story that I can't tell. You can tell a story I can't tell. I don't know if, where's Ron? Is it Ron back there? Is Ron back there? He's back here. Um, and I don't think he'd mind me sharing this, but maybe he's back there. Is Ron back there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are people in our church that have stories. Stories to tell, right? You're good with me telling the 30? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to be sure. <laughs> Um, Ron, who leads our hospitality ministry on Sundays, right, just told us today, didn't be preparation, 30 years since he's left prison and now is doing the Lord's work and Mary and has no recidivism, is now doing just work, justice work, being trained to help people understand how they can join God in that work. Again, his past does not disqualify him from the work. His past qualifies him for the work. Your homeless situation does not disqualify you from the work. It qualifies you. The Jordan Neelys of the world need homeless advocates. They don't need me speaking up. They need you because you're the ones who are experiencing the shade on the trains. You have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. When we celebrate clean time every month, you have a story to tell. It's not disqualifying you from the just work. It's qualifying you in new ways because now you have a story to tell of the redemption that Jesus has brought you into. That you can go into the spaces that others can't because you have a story to tell that, that can, people can understand in ways that I can't. In ways that I can't. It's inviting us to see our past differently. Your past might actually be an asset to Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Your past might actually be an asset to Jesus. This is the invitation to just work. But lastly, the beautiful central part of this text is Jesus inviting us into this just work is an invitation to meet deep longing. Deep longing. Okay. As we think about just work, finally, it's a recognition that a lot of the work that we're going to do is we're not going to see fruit from. It's, it's a long work. It's, it's, it's arduous. It's difficult, right? The Close Rikers campaign started, I don't know, seven years ago, maybe more. And we're still, in some ways, no closer than when we started. Does the NYPD need to be reformed? Do we need more housing? We're having this conversation about housing. We're having conversations about racism, right? That we've been having since the inception of our country. I mean, 
So, but we have to recognize that how change happens is it starts on the inside. People need to know that there's change that can happen that can help you see yourself differently. The beauty and the power comes back to verse 13. Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. Whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that I give him will become a well of living water springing up to eternal life. In the midst of the brokenness, maybe your housing situation, your economic situation, your health situation, the systems that are keeping you down and out are changing. You know what people need? They need to know hope. One of my favorite teachers, Brian Stevenson, wrote a book, Just Mercy. He does helping people get off death row, right? And what he does this, he talks about the opposite of justice is hopelessness. Hopelessness. We offer hope because we know that God loves us in the midst of our brokenness and our struggles and our limitations and our issues. There's a God who loves us in the midst of all of that because it's not about our successes or our wins or our abilities or our capacities or our strengths or all those things. It's about us coming to God saying, I'm broken. I'm broken and I need you. I need you. In the midst of our brokenness and pain, the just work he invites us into is to help people find hope and healing in Jesus. The deep longing of the human heart is to be accepted, to be welcomed, to be forgiven, to be loved. So the invitation to just work is to come alongside someone in the midst of their struggles and say, God loves you. God loves you. Not because of how strong or wise, not because of how rich or smart, because you recognize you need him. You need him. Jesus is offering us new life. We are forgiven and welcomed and invited into a relationship with him. So this is the invitation to just work. God is inviting us to be a community that steps into situations to understand, that recognizing that I might just have a bucket. Whatever it is that God's inviting me into, it might be a bucket. It might be a listening ear. It might be my words. It might be my time. He's inviting me to be misunderstood. People are going to, why are you talking to that Muslim brother? Why are you talking to that homeless brother or sister? Why are you going to those recovery meetings? Why are you? Because I want to introduce people to hope, to help, to healing. I'm willing to be misunderstood, to offer healing and hope to those around me. My story does not disqualify me. It qualifies me in different ways. But lastly, this invitation is an invitation to follow Jesus. Jesus is not asking us to do something that he wasn't willing to do all the way. All the way. 